Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Larry Emder here, and today I'm flying solo for the morning show podcast while Kylie chases down the Easter Bunny and the last of those hot cross buns. But a big episode for you on the way, Home Improvement's Richard Kahn, or as you may remember him, Al Borland, tells us about teaming up with Tim Allen for a new show. Jules Sebastian, the wonderful Jules Sebastian, is on to tell us about her new book and share some stories about her early days with Guy. And from Erinsborough to America... Alan Dale on making it big in the States. But we begin with one of the most iconic and powerful voices in music. The pandemic may have stopped Melissa Etheridge from performing on stage, but it didn't stop her from streaming live music out of her garage. Melissa Etheridge is many things, cancer survivor, gay rights activist, mother and partner, but the role we love her for most, rock star. For sure, with her smoky vocals and powerhouse musical talents, the singer-songwriter has enjoyed 30-plus years of success and she's got the awards to prove it. Melissa Etheridge joins us live from LA. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. A pleasure to be here. We've got to talk through these song titles. Bring me some water. Come to my window. These are the very demanding song titles. Was it just was this sort of the rock star persona coming through? Do it and do it now. Well, you know, I've always loved the songs that you, you know, you you got to go get it. And that's that's rock and roll. You know, when you say, I need this, I want this, <laughs> I got to have this. So I've always done that. Well, we rattled off some of your many successes, Grammys and Oscar. I mean, do you have a favourite achievement within the industry? Oh, you know, I think um, ultimately it's the longevity. It's being able to still go perform live and, and have audiences come out to see me. That's that's the best. The, the awards are sweet and nice and fun. And that's, you know, that's a very heavy Oscar. And it's always, you know, it's, it's cool. But uh, really... Just being able to still make music, to uh, record music and perform music, that's the best part of, of everything right now. We love this Walk of Fame moment too there with your guitar. In 2005, you performed at the Grammys while in treatment for cancer. You, you've been able to grasp the reality of that moment, what it meant to so many people? It, it, you know, for, for the last uh, 17 years now, I, a month doesn't go by that someone doesn't mention that. Yeah, it, right. it was really an important thing to me, and that scream was probably the best medicine of my whole cancer <laughs> treatment. So, it, you know, it was a special time, and, and I'm glad I was able to to help people, and, and you know, and it changed my life in where I, I really realized health is absolutely, absolutely the most important thing. And how is your health, Melissa? Uh, my health is very good. I'm yeah. totally 17 years cancer-free. Um, learning how stress is a killer and you just really gotta you really gotta put yourself first and I I I, I speak of that all the time in concert and now on I I do these uh, 
the streaming shows five days a week on something called Etheridge TV. You can go to etheridgetv.com and subscribe. But in, in those shows, I'm always um, just speaking about how it, it's so important for us to put ourselves first. Yeah. yeah. Tell us more about Etheridge TV. What are we going to find when we log on? Well, um, it, it was born because, uh, well, with this global pandemic, the, pretty much the last thing that's going to come back is live performances. I, I mm. understand that. So I wanted to uh, still connect with my fans. And so uh, my wife and I, in our garage, we built a streaming uh, studio. And we've got about uh, seven cameras, and it's uh, all hooked up. And I, I, I do three uh, concerts a week and then two kind of sh chat shows one of them uh, shows old videos old bootlegs and stuff and and it's just uh, if, if you're missing live music and connection come join us it's uh, melissaetheridge.com or actually etheridgetv.com and you can uh, you can join us we've got a lot of Aussies that uh, get up in the morning and see it's it's on at three o'clock here so that's about right now. So okay. yeah, yeah. you can also watch it. You can also watch it on demand. Right. So uh, morning time in Australia. I, I guess for the fans, what they're loving is they're getting to see you in a really personal space. And I guess that allows you to to open up maybe. And you share a lot with your fans. If we, if we could just yeah. talk about mate, the passing of your son in early last yeah, year. I, I, nearly I, I year told, yeah, I told my fans that... Um, they're getting used to seeing me up close, you know, like front row. So they're going to have to get used to that. But um, yeah, we we've gone on a year now. It's been a year of uh, streaming, and uh, we learned a lot. And it's just um, it's a way that I can keep connected. We we talk about uh, you know personal stuff. We talk about things that are important, community. We laugh a lot of laughing, a lot of entertainment. I really think music is important, and it's a very healing. Uh, thing and so um, I, I try to bring that not only to, just to myself but also my fans. Okay, now we know you have a special relationship with Australia, touring here over the years many times, right? Adelaide was one of the first markets to put your music on high rotation. Uh, that, what a wonderful piece. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're proud to, that makes you nearly one of us. We've been Abs a really big I, part of this story. I love that. Adelaide, the, I remember the little radio station in Adelaide where it grew and it was one of the first places in the whole wide world that wow. really caught on to my first album. I remember my manager saying, uh, you're doing very well in Australia. And I went, Australia? Because that was so far away, you know, for me at the time. So uh, I always love going down there and I, I love how precious that first album is. And, and I love being a classic rocker now down there for you guys. A classic rocker, I love it. Uh, all, always, uh, well, 30 years since publicly identifying as a lesbian. Do, do you ever reflect on how your bravery, I guess you could call it bravery, paved the way for, for many to follow, Melissa? Oh, well, you know, I, I did it because I, I, couldn't live, um, I couldn't live a life in in the shadows like that that that, that didn't make sense I, mm. I wanted to be myself my songs were very personal and since then I mean it's been over 25 years now it's been a long almost 30 years yeah. and um, you know since then I've never ever regretted it and it certainly has been something that people say has inspired them and and that means a lot to me that means a whole lot to me well, lovely to talk to you. And despite the fact that three minutes ago you told the morning show viewers to stop watching morning TV and watch Etheridge TV <laughs> at about this time of the day, we still love Oops. chatting to you. Thank you so much.
Great chat. All right. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Melissa. Great fun. Great to see you. Well, Jill Sebastian is the person you just want to have a couple with. Six years ago, she started the YouTube sensation Tea with Jules, sharing open and honest stories with the likes of Kate Ritchie, Samantha Jade and our very own Laz. Now, fast forward to today, the mum of two is embracing a new role as an author, turning her hit online series into a book and spilling the tea on her life in the spotlight. And Jules Sebastian joins us live. Uh, congratulations on the new hey. book. Thank you, guys. Uh, in the book, you learn, will you share some lessons that you've learned from celeb guests? Who's given you the most surprising answer? Well, you know what? I, I, I wrote it, the, there's 12 chapters in the book and yeah. each chapter is a life experience, essentially. So we're talking about identity and comparison and kindness and passion and purpose and kind of all the big things you go through in life. And there's a chapter in there about fear. And I remember when I was first starting Tea with Jules and there were so many people I admired and I wanted to ask onto the show. And Lisa Messenger was one of those people who I just, from afar, I didn't know her, never met her. And I was actually very fearful about asking her to come on because I thought she would say no, she'd be too busy and then I'd be embarrassed and all the rest yeah. of it. Anyway, she said yes, she came on the show and, um, you know, I, I conquered my fear of asking her <laughs> and we sat down for, for a tea and then I actually asked her, do, do you get afraid of things? Like, are you fearful of things? Mm -hmm. And what surprised me was she said yes because I thought people like that aren't afraid of anything and they can just do everything and they don't feel afraid of, of anything they're trying. So I think that's been one of the things, a, a big lesson I've learned, that I do most things afraid all the time, like right now. I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. I wrote a book. I've just put a book out into the world. That's pretty scary. Yeah, right. And I think most people <laughs> have a fear of, you know, whatever they're doing and, and trying. Yeah. You do this thing. I've been on, on that show. And yes. you do this thing where you speak very quietly and you smile a lot. And the next minute you're, you're trapped. In the, and you're saying things as a guest that you would never, ever say. Because they're not even questions. It's just this fabulous conversation. You have this beautiful way of extracting information. You do this deep diving into a lot of personal experiences for the book. What was the most difficult chapter for you to write, do you think? I think probably there's a chapter on grief and I lost my brother um, five days after we got married so we were on our honeymoon and um, got that tragic phone call that my brother had passed away taking his own life and it was just sideswiping and shocking and awful and I never really really talked about that too much in the public eye before mm. and so I wrote a chapter on grief and and you don't have to experience grief just because you've lost lost somebody you can experience grief in all sorts of ways and I think it's just something that you when you lose something that you love and you lose something that you want I think you go through that process of grief and those stages and phases but also I don't think it ever really ends and so well, that was kind of a hard chapter to wrap up because I was like mm -hmm. well get to the end of this chapter and you're like you never actually reach the end of grief you always have a, a somebody shaped hole in your heart or something that you will miss but I think if you pay honor to that I think that's actually quite beautiful so mm. that was a that was a tough one to write that took me quite a while to yeah, get through. Right. beautiful yeah. words uh, you also share how Guy first asked you out. <laughs> Apparently yes. it involves a bus stop and a very awkward conversation. <laughs> yes, I know. So uh, the official moment when we yeah. became boyfriend and girlfriend, yeah. we were friends for about a year before we actually got romantic about it. Mm. And um, yeah, we had that awkward conversation of like, are we more than friends now? What, what is this feeling we're having? And we're, at, we're out for kind of supper after church, I think, um, with a bunch of our friends. And he was like, I need to get some money out at the ATM. Can you come with me? So we go to the ATM 
ATM and he gets some cash out. I think he just needed some alone time with me to like yeah. build up the courage. And then we sat at, at an empty bus stop and he was like, so I like you. And I was like, I like you. And Did you see how much cash he took out? <laughs> Uh, I made him pay for my And dinner. this all happened after church. That makes it beautiful. <laughs> it was a very romantic situation. Now, you mentioned before that you became close with Guy through singing, right? So could we, could we get you two together on a microphone, on a stage, <laughs> uh, somewhere, sometime, somehow? Uh, I'm not going to promise you that, but maybe. And maybe promises, okay. Maybe after two cocktails. <laughs> oh, yes. oh, you do love a cocktail. Your cocktails. Oh, my God, your cocktails are legendary. Um, the boys... Yes. Two gorgeous young boys. Yes. Who's the fun parent, you or Guy? Oh, well, I, I feel like I'm the non-fun one. I'm the enforcer of all the things. So, like, get up, get dressed, this, you know, we're going here, this is run on time, the scheduler, the enforcer. I would say Guy, I would give the Guy the Fun Parent Award for sure. He's, he is a good time. He's always, like, you know, throwing them around and playing, taking them to sport and... But you make the good everything. cocktail, so the other parents prefer to hang out with That's you exactly anyway. right, yeah. Uh, congratulations <laughs> on Tea and Honesty. It's a beautiful book. The, the, um, the uh, Tea with Jewels is a beautiful concept, and you're a wonderful guest. Thanks for coming in. Uh, the here, new book is called Tea and Honesty. It's by Jules Sebastian. It's just a, it's a, a beautiful book. It's a chat, um, and it is out now. Does everyone know what time it is? It's tool time! We try, we've been rehearsing that for three weeks. It was, was the show. Good. You were it's good. Not gonna get, it's not going to get no, much better no, no, than no, that. No, no, That was pretty good. Thank you, everybody. It was a show within a show, and they were both so good. Award-winning sitcom Home Improvement had an eight-season run, and we were there for every laugh-out-loud moment and DIY disaster. It was great. A long accident-prone Tim the Toolman Taylor was his trusty assistant, Al Baldwin, played by actor Richard Kahn. The flannel shirt-wearing handyman may have been the butt of Tim's jokes, but he had some of the best one-liners. Al, what's the first thing you do when you get up? I say to myself, oh boy, another wonderful day of working side-by-side -side with Tim. <laughs> what's the second thing you do, Al? I consider calling in sick. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now the famous duo are back together. This is very exciting, having reunited for a new reality series. So does this mean we'll see the return of one of Al's most famous catchphrases? I don't think so, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> well, we think so. Richard Kahn joins us live from LA. Welcome to The Morning Show. 30 years since Home Improvement hit the air. Where did that time oh go? Oh, my gosh. It's been a long, long time, hasn't it? Amazing. Where would the time go? Uh, yeah, I know. Where did the time go? But I, I look back at that and I just laugh. I can now watch the show without um, without worrying about stuff that happened or didn't happen or got left out. It's really kind of wonderful to be able to watch it without a memory. Well, we know what you've been doing since, reading John Grisham novels and cleaning that beautiful fish tank, but your character, <laughs> Al Baldwin, was uh, loyal and sensitive and clearly, clearly more skilled than Tim. This was never a question. But you almost didn't have the role at all yet. No, no, I, uh, oh gosh. Uh, the, the wonderful thing is, is I took a job for $100 a week and I met the producers like four or five years before I got that job. And you know what? Just networking, just meeting people and, and staying friends really helped me get the job. And did the pay ever go up or? <laughs> did the pay? Yeah. You know, uh, 
the stock market has done really wonderful over the last 20 years. <laughs> so you and Tim Allen uh, have worked together on Home Improvement. You made an appearance on his other sitcom, Last Man Standing, uh, and now you're back together again for, uh, it's a show called Assembly Required. Yeah. Tell us about it. Yeah, I know. It's really, it's really fun. And this time, it's, it's interesting because we don't have writers. It's like whatever comes out of our mouth is, is what we're writing, you know, basically. So Tim was a little nervous about that. I had, I had done um, a game show. I had done Family Feud for a few years. So I was kind of, uh, you know, ready for that. But we, it, it was like picking up from old times. It was a lot of fun. And I can't believe some of the stuff they left in. Uh-huh. You know, stuff that I just, you know, we would say not knowing that they would keep it in. So this new show, it's obviously testament to the fact that A, three decades on, fans still love seeing you on the screen. B, you and Tim are still great mates. That's important. And C, people everywhere, particularly through the pandemic, right, fell in love with DIY. Everyone had these little home improvements to do. Well, you know, you're sitting around your house and you're looking at stuff that you let go for a couple of years, two or three years. You go, ah, you know, that I should get, I should take care of that. Or you're sitting in your backyard. You're right. I did. I've done a lot of things around my house that I had put off for years. Speaking of the pandemic, is it true, Richard, you did actually suffer COVID? You know, I don't know if I can call it suffering. I uh, I, I had a little bit of a cough and I looked at my wife and I went, oh, my, oh no, I have COVID. And we laughed about it. And then like uh, maybe five hours later, I had a cookie and I immediately put my mask on and went back to talk to my wife. And she goes, what do you got your mask on? I says, I can't taste the cookie. Oh. So the next day I went in and I, and I got tested and, uh, and I tested positive, but I, nobody around me caught it. My wife didn't catch it. Um, people I was around before, I don't know uh, how I got it or what, but I just, I just stayed away from people for like 14 days. Mm. Okay. So your wife appeared actually in some episodes of Home Improvement as Jill Taylor's sister. She's an actress and a singer, of course, and your son is in showbiz. It's, uh, it's running pretty good in that family of yours there. Well, it, you know, it's a big difference between when I was getting into the business and now when my son Cooper's getting into the business. It's, it's a, you know, it's a lot about social media. I mean, I'm sure you guys know this because you have to, you have to be on top of that. And what I still try to instill in him is that, yeah, you know, it, it does help to have a lot of likes and a lot of people, you know, paying attention to you online. But, you know, when you get the job, you still have to be good. You still have to know what to do. Yeah, you still and that's got, important. Still got to deliver. Uh, Richard, you mentioned Family Feud that you hosted that in the early 2000s. Larry, my co-host here, set to return to his game show, Roots. Uh, he's about to start hosting a program called The Chase. Uh, so any advice for him? Oh, 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 my gosh. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know the parameters of what The Chase is, but what was great about Family Feud was you had people that were under pressure to say answers and so stuff would come out of their mouth and you know all the comedy is written right there as long as you take advantage of it mm. you know so uh it, it, it was like improv theater basically <laughs> yeah. and i enjoyed it to the to the limits i loved doing that show yeah, that sounds more like the morning show than the chase but listen lovely to talk to you this morning i love that show so much it was a real treat thank you well, thank you. Thanks and I, I hope that, that uh, Assembly Required is, is, is well received in Australia. For sure. Oh, Huge sure fan base be. for you guys out here. Thanks, guys. Thanks, thank you. Richard. Thanks, Richard.
Well, like so many great New Zealand actors, we've claimed this next guy as our own too. With a stint on The Young Doctors and playing a pivotal role on Ramsey Street, Alan Dale firmly cemented his place in Australian TV history. But it wasn't long before Hollywood came a-calling and the Kiwi was catapulted into a major star. With unforgettable performances in The O.C., Ugly Betty and even the fabulous Entourage. <laughs> <laughs> With more than four decades of phenomenal film and small screen credits, Alan Dale's latest character is reimagining a classic. And it's in Atlanta, Georgia, where we find Alan Dale this morning. Hi, Alan. Good morning, you two. Hi. Good morning. Are uh, you over there filming the modern remake of Dynasty, or Dynasty, as they oh, sorry, call it? Um, I've, I've got used to saying Dynasty now, you know. I remember when the first one was uh, around, um, they... Um, they, you know, we always had trouble saying dynasty, but uh, I've lived here for a while, so I'm sort of used to it. What's it been like rebooting this 80s soap opera, the classic? Well, it was interesting. Actually, we have a lot of fun. I hadn't really realised that it was quite sort of comedic, really, and um, we've sort of played that up quite a lot, really. So, um, yeah, it's been a really good fun. And who, do you, who are you playing, Alan? I play the butler. Because, you know, because I've got a Kiwi accent or a Kiwi Australian accent that sort of sounds like an English accent, so I reckon I'm making a good butler. <laughs> the keeper of all the secrets. Yes, that too. <laughs> now, it's been 15 years since Ugly Betty first aired on the small screen. Uh, there are a lot of sort of catty characters in the show. What, what was it like behind the scenes of that one? Oh, interesting. Um, it was really good fun. It was such an ensemble, and um, really, we, we everyone got on really well. That that's really, I think, really important if you want to play those sort of aggressive, sort of you know, characters and things. You, you got to get on with everybody so that nobody takes it too personally. Yeah. Um, let's talk Entourage. It's such a fabulous show. You featured in yeah. the TV series of Entourage, and then also in the film. Uh, what was yeah. that like? How do you sort of rate that in, in your career? It's interesting. It's high up there in terms of what I respected, you know, the things I've done that I respect a lot. Um, I, I didn't actually... I was a recurring character more, though. So, you know, um, <laughs> I'd walk in there. I didn't really talk to many people. I just walk in there, abuse people and walk out, really. <laughs> you, you played a president, a judge, a doctor, a king. Which was the best one? Because I reckon being a president would be kind of cool. You know, they're all really good fun and they're a lot less work than actually being any of those things, you know? <laughs> yes, the university Hard requirement is far being less. A doctor, for example. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. You, you married Miss Australia 1986. That was journalist and broadcaster Tracy Dale. Uh, Indeed. Does she ever join you overseas on these big projects? Mostly she does, but in the last few years, because we've had a couple of kids together, they've been going through their, you know, final um, high school and early college stuff, and so she's had to stay home during the last few years, which has been hard. But, you know, FaceTime and, and Zoom and things makes it a lot easier now and, um, and things. But, no, we're, we're, um, we're still very happy together, and uh, she's about to... Let, with the COVID problem, we, our dog can't fly, so we, we, we're going to have to drive across America with um, our dog uh, so that she can come and join me for, for the rest of the season. <laughs> hey, Alan, are people recognising you in the street? You've been on so many different roles, on so many different shows. Are people stopping in the street? You know, no. <laughs> and I like that. I like yeah, it just yeah. like you. Yeah, it's great. So you've been in showbiz for 43 years. Uh, what, what, thanks, what are the plans? Thanks for that. <laughs> what are the plans ahead? 
You know, it's an interesting thing because, of course, the older you get, the more people ask you, are you going to retire? And my feeling is no, because I did this for nothing. I used to be an amateur dramatic person back in the 60s and early 70s. And so, you know, um, if I stop doing it for money, I, then I'd go off and I'd do it for nothing. It's not the point, really. <laughs> Is, no. is there one great role you really want to play? One great. Well, you know, there's one I, I'm terrified by. Yeah. That I would, would I, you know, I couldn't say no to. That'd be King Lear. Yes. Um, oh, right. I can see you in that. But, you know, it's such a huge role. Yeah. And I don't. But I'd love to do that. But you know, I, I think that's what I'd like to do now. Is that for the rest of you know, my time here, I'd like to sort of just go places that are interesting and have fun and sort of, you know, just do little bits and pieces here and there. Oh, sounds, sounds perfect. Uh, so great to catch up with you, Alan, and uh, best of luck shooting uh, Dynasty over there in Atlanta. Nice to Dynasty. Talk to you. Dynasty. Dynasty, yeah, I think is what you're <laughs> Thanks, yes. Alan. Thanks, Alan. Great Thanks, to Harry. chat. I spy with my little eye something beginning with CIA. It's one of the most powerful intelligence agencies in the world and worthy of a better intro than that. It's full of intrigue, espionage and deception. And who better to explain the tactics and gadgets than this real-life spy? John Mendez served as a technical operations officer and the agency's chief of disguise, working in hostile situations in some of the most dangerous places with expertise in clandestine photography and identity transformation. Wow. Reporting for duty live from Washington, D.C. is Jonna Mendez, or is it? Hello, Jonna. <laughs> Good morning. You were working at a bank in Europe. You became a secretary for the CIA and then quickly moved into clandestine photography. So take us through your responsibilities for the role. What did you actually do? Well, I was an amateur photographer um, in, in my early days. And when I was working as a secretary at CIA, I was going to leave. I was, I was bored. And they offered me an opportunity to take some very unique training courses uh, that we only give to our operations officers. So I took the courses and uh, sort of gently elbowed my way into a new professional uh, status of a technical operations officer uh, specializing in clandestine photography. And it was amazing. I traveled the world teaching foreign agents how to collect the information we needed with non-commercial cameras with proprietary ca cameras now that's a that's a minox you could go out to a store back then and buy it and it was used as a sp spy camera i used my minox when i skied because i fell a lot and i wasn't wasn't going to hurt it or me um our cameras got even smaller uh they they were our cameras were the backbone of a lot of our operations during the cold war this is more typical this is one of our cameras uh, inside of a pen. Okay. You, you can see the little film cartridge, and there's film in the cartridge. Someone had to load that film. That cartridge is on the left, right wow, there. Wow, wow. You've got some amazing stories to tell. During the Cold War, you communicated with other agents using dead rats. Is that right? Can you explain that? Well, dead rats was one, one thing that we used. It was uh, part of a larger category called uh, concealment devices. There were places in the world, uh, particular cities in the world, where it was too dangerous for us to meet face to face with our foreign agent. It was also, more importantly, it was dangerous for the foreign agent because if we were caught, they'd just tell us to leave. Uh, if the agent was caught in a lot of countries, he'd be, he'd be killed, he'd be executed. So we used rats as a universal idea. No one's gonna touch that rat, a dead rat, except the person who is specifically looking for it in that particular place. But it might be a fake brick. It could be uh, 
It could be a smashed Coke can. It could be a, a greasy construction glove, with, which had material inside of it. We wow. used uh, all kinds of concealment devices. And as Chief of Disguise, you also help the spies themselves hide their identities. What's involved in that? Where do you start when changing the way someone looks? Because if it's not done well, you can pick that a mile off. Well, you have to sit down and figure out what they need, where they're going, how long they're going to wear it, what the conditions are there. And then, then you start taking the person apart. And it's not just their face. It's the whole, it's the whole person. It might be, they have such a unique walk that you need to change their walk. It might be someone who used their hands so much that you need to give them something to hold on to, maybe a pipe or cigarette. But basically we top down, we'd say if their hair was short, we wanted it longer. If it was blonde, we wanted it darker. If they had a mustache, we'd tell them to shave it. If they didn't, we'd give them one. Uh, glasses or no glasses. We could do dental facades. We could change their teeth. Were they married? We have them take off their wedding ring. It just went endlessly wow. on. We'd reverse everything about them that we could. Top to bottom. Wow. The Mission Impossible movies feature a whole lot of masked disguises, uh, which many may think is sort of this Hollywood exaggeration, mm -hmm. but you actually helped develop something called the five-second mask. What's that? Uh, it was 10, 10 years of R&D is what it was. Um, the five-second mask was something that you could pull into a parking lot uh, pick up the mask in the dark, put it on, um, adjust it, register it really, get out of your car and you knew that you had a total disguise on with just one one piece of equipment. It was uh, fantastic. It was easy on, it was quick off, it had to crumple down so you could put it under your arm as you walked down the street. Um, Tom Cruise's masks were wonderful to look at, but a lot of trick photography when Tom when Tom came out of his disguise, he looked terrible. We had to look normal when we came out of ours. Yeah, so right. you've spoken about job. you've spoken about the Jason Bourne movies and what they got wrong. Uh, what would you have changed with you know with someone as someone with on the ground experience? I would change everything about the Jason Bourne oh. movie. <laughs> my my son uh, loves them, so mm. I can't I can't be too vocal about it. It is everyone's. Uh, wish that that's what espionage was like moments of excitement uh, uh safety deposit boxes full of guns and 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 a multitude of passports and currency from every country none of that none of that is mm. none of that is true but it's so fun to watch mm. yeah okay. my problem with jason bourne is it just so rubs me the wrong way those passports they were like gold just to make one that was actually going to get you through immigration yeah and he's there with a handful so it just irritated me to watch jason Moore. okay we love the movie still right yeah, yeah you got a new book called the moscow rules how did you manage to get the cia to agree to share their secrets for you with uh, with the book it's uh it's in our paperwork when right. we when we're hired you sign um you sign an authorization that they can review everything that you've that you've ever written i've written another book it was my pandemic project I thought might as well I could learn French or I could write another book. Hmm. And it's at the CIA right now undergoing review. So all of these books have been reviewed and the CIA has agreed that what's in the books is no longer classified. Wow. And when I talk like to you, as long as I stick to what's in the books, um, and I've got four books, I've got a lot of information. I'm, I'm good. You're good. Okay. Well, it's been a delight to talk to you today, Jonna. Yeah. And we saw the, the book Argo there. That, of course, was... Uh, uh, about your late husband, Tony Mendez, who, who 
Ben Affleck. That was that was Affleck that was Ben Affleck trying yeah. trying to be as good looking as my husband. <laughs> Love it. It's a ter- it's a terrific book and of course movie. Thank you so much, John. A fascinating stuff. Good to talk to you. Amazing stuff. I can't. I just feel like the CIA might be watching us now. There's a dead rat in yeah, the corner. I know, so we'll I know, I know. <laughs> cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Well, here is the gold logie-winning larrikin that we know and love, starring in hit series like The Secret Life of Us and Molly. But for the past few years, Samuel Johnson's main focus has been working tirelessly tirelessly for his charity Love Your Sister. He's gone above and beyond for cancer research, raising over $13 million. Now, with Mother's Day a little over a month away, the best-selling author has turned his attention to celebrating motherhood with uh, some help from his famous pals. Samuel Johnson joins us live. Welcome back, mate. Lovely no, to see you. Thank you for having me. What I really appreciate project. it. Uh, now, before we chat to you about the book, you're an actor, author, f- philanthropist, Order of Australia recipient, but we see on socials now that you're a tennis champion as well. No, yeah, no. Um, yes, my, um, I've got a bit of tennis pedigree. My dad was a player. Um, he, won, he won the uh, championship in my hometown a few times. Yeah, right. And uh, I the was like, Dalesford Lawn Tennis Club yes, Championship. Yes, I snared my second, uh, my second title on the weekend. I was really, really lucky to, um, to get a win over Colin there. Um, <laughs> my dad won it six times. I've now won it twice. Of course, I'm trying to best him. Oh, of course you are. Yeah. Yes, you keep going until you get it seven times. So we've read your previous books. You've, you've done Dear Dad and you also did Dear Santa. Yeah. So this comes your third instalment. It's called yeah. Dear Mum. So, so t- take us through the inspiration for this one, Samuel. Well, it's a celebration of mums. Uh, you know, as co-founder of Love Your Sister, I represent about 700,000 women and mums in the breast cancer space. Mm-hmm. I'm very passionate about repping mm-hmm. our mums well. And uh, I really wanted to put together a, a fitting tribute, an homage, a celebration of all things mums. So I got asked uh, over nine Australian notables to contribute letters to their mums for publication so that I can use the proceeds to fund cancer research. Beautiful. It's a terrific project. The book is filled with really heartwarming letters from notable Aussies and you write a touching tribute to your mum who you lost at just three years old. Did you find across the the letters and as you were collecting them, it was actually a, a common some common themes that held oh, them all together. Oh yeah, I mean, the, mums, it's a universal theme. I mean, it, what 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 I didn't anticipate was just how cathartic an experience it would be for everybody, yeah, yeah. including me. I mean, wow. we've you know until you write it down, you don't quite know how you feel. And sometimes we opened up cans of worms and um, and 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 pulled a few skeletons out of closets as well. It's not just a fluffy hallmark kind of tribute to mums. It's also an intricate look at the complex relationships that we share with our mums and some of our contributors have decided to um uh, to, to to clear the air with their mums some is, okay. you know some of them are some of them are being very refreshing and honest mm. um not all of them are um a fairy floss oh, okay. yeah. That's right. okay. do you have a favorite letter letters um, from got, the book? I, well of course larry's letter is one of my favorites um but so too is guy pierce's he, he writes a very touching letter to his mum with dementia um he um oh. just one sentence i'll read if i can yeah. He, he writes, um, I, think, I think of all the times you told me you never wanted to end up a bloody vegetable. How if it ever came to that, I had your permission to knock you on the head. Instead, I just let you sit in your nursing home like a piece of broccoli simmering away on a stove longer than it should. And to think I had the chance to pull the plug once. 
a oh, really, yeah. really sharp, insightful and very heartbreaking letter about a son dealing with his mother who's got dementia. Oh, um, that's heartbreaking. Larry's, um, thank you for contributing, no, Larry. Mate, pleasure, um, pleasure. You say of your mum, yes, you are awesome, but so is a nice holiday, so that word doesn't work. Yes, you're amazing, but so is a great dinner, so that word isn't enough either. Yes, you're incredible, but then so was the first moon landing, and you're a trillion times more impressive than that. Um, <laughs> Larry uses his letter to try and find the words to explain the love for his mum. For his beautiful mum, Which is impossible. It, it impossible is. And, and your letter is amongst the most charming in this assembly. I'm really grateful that you wrote for it. And also, um, Sam Mack. He, um, he, Sam Macronym, this about his mum Loretta. Yeah, mm -hmm. he decided that he would accord um, his mum Loretta with her own um, three-letter acronym, TMH, for the mum hug. And, um, <laughs> and uh, his, his letter's quite a delight as well. There's so many favourites in there. So how, how does this help um, your cause, All proceeds Samuel? go to Cancer Vanquishment, Beautiful. simple. I mean, I didn't want to just celebrate mums. I wanted to help knock cancer on the head as well. Yeah. Um, so as, as always, everyone's contributed for free. Um, and um, we just cover the costs of the book and the rest goes to Cancer Vanquishment. Uh, it's, it's not just important for us to celebrate mums, but also to make sure that we protect them from cancer. Oh, see, my mum's watching. That's the first time she would have heard the contributed for free. Uh, she was expecting royalties <laughs> from this <laughs> Now, now, leading up to Mother's Day, you're Face that, actually, face that, because you're shouting at the screen. Like, that's all right, Larry. That's all right. You told me to put it got your face. But it was her birthday on Sunday, and she'd be thrilled to hear you read that as well. Oh. Like, and it was her birthday on Sunday, and now Larry's getting the book for yes, free to yes, give to yes, her. Yes, yes. But I'll sign it. It's fine. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. Lovely Thank to you. see you. It's a beautiful book. Really beautiful. Thank you. Don't forget, to, you can pick up your copy of Dear Mum by Samuel Johnson. It is out now. Hope you like your birthday present, Mum. <laughs> Well, out of the COVID pandemic, the JobKeeper scheme offered support to those in need, keeping businesses afloat and people employed. But with that support ending yesterday, many Australians are concerned about their financial future. Yeah, so what help is still available for those struggling and uh, how can we access the mo those much-needed funds? Yeah, well, for more information, we're joined live by the General Manager of Services Australia, Hank Jongen. Great to see you again, Hank. So JobKeeper ending, that's a big concern for a lot of people. What should people do if they're worried about their finances? Look, we understand a lot of people are very worried and concerned right now. Treasury estimates tell us that uh, uh, roughly about 100,000 to 150,000 uh, people will be transitioning across to job seeker payment. And my message is um, claim now and claim online. Uh, what, what I really want to emphasise is that there's no need for people to come into our offices or to, or to call us. Uh, the best and easiest way to lodge an application for either job seeker or youth allowance if you're under 22 and find yourself uh, unemployed is to lodge an application now and do it online. The process is very simple and straightforward. You go through my gov and you'll find a button once you're in my gov that says government support for coronavirus and you simply follow the prompts. All right, Hank, take us through who can apply for job seeker. Now is it only people who find themselves without a job or for example if your boss can only afford to keep you two or three days a week is there support available for that scenario? Uh, look, it really depends on the level of income that you're receiving from your boss. Uh, 
but look, uh, and, and of course there's two payments available. Job Seeker is for people aged 22 and over, and uh, Youth Allowance is for those under age 22. It really just depends on the amount of income that you receive. The government has increased the threshold of how much you can earn before it affects your payment. Now here's the tip. Uh, to find out what you're likely to be eligible for, go to servicesaustralia.gov.au. Uh, Services Australia is one word. Once you're in there, search for need a payment. Need a payment. If you search for that, uh, it will lead you to a payment guide which will uh, give you an indication as to what you're likely to be eligible for and set you on the pathway of lodging an application. And, and my advice really is do it online, it's the simplest way. It's also contact free uh, because of course over the past 12 months we've had to look for contact free solutions. Yeah. And I think Hank too, the difference here will be with JobKeeper, it didn't really matter what your household earned, if you had a job you were still going to get JobKeeper. We're going to find a lot of people who are married or in de facto relationships, the household income affects whether you get job seeker, doesn't it? So I think that's where we're going to find the transition here for a lot of people, right? That's absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, partner income is taken into account. But again, the government has increased the limits on partner income. Look, I'm not going to go through numbers here because that will, you know, if I mention a number, it's just people will then lock that in their memory. Uh, it really just depends on uh, whether you're a couple or single, yeah. whether you have children. Uh, the other thing to bear in mind is if you're paying rent, you may also be eligible for rent assistance. But if you're not sure, go to servicesaustralia.gov.au. Um, if you know what you need to apply for, go to mygov.gov.au. Beautiful. Gee, for so many people, it's just been one thing after another, hasn't it, recently? Those floods uh, have been tragic parts for our east coast. Uh, but Centrelink is able to supply support payments from the government for those in need. Uh, and let's start with the Australian government disaster recovery payment. What's in it and how much are people entitled to, Hank? Okay. Well, look, we've mobilised staff from across, not only across the organisation, but also across the public service to deal with this demand, combined with job seeker payment. Let me just assure you, we are geared for that. Okay. Disaster recovery payment is a thousand dollars per adult and four hundred dollars uh, per child uh, for those whose property has been affected by the floods, severely affected by the floods. By that, we usually mean that water's inundated sewerage may have overflowed, those sorts of issues um, uh, make you eligible. Also, if you've been injured, uh, then you could also be eligible. Okay, as we head into Easter, our final question, Hank, does Easter change the, the day that people get paid with their, with their payments? Look, in some instances, obviously we're closed on Good Friday and Easter Monday, uh, which means that in some instances people have had to uh, provide us with information a day or two early. Uh, the other thing is some people will be paid a day or two early. It's important to remember this is not an extra payment, it's an early payment. Okay. And what we're saying to people is, that, you know, you therefore need to budget for the next normal cycle of your payment. All right, Hank, always good to talk to you and work through all of that. We Thanks, appreciate Hank. your time today. Thank you.
Well, between JobKeeper ending this week and real estate prices skyrocketing, many Australians are finding their financial health one of the hardest roads to navigate. Very turbulent, isn't it? So for more on how to make the most of your money, we're joined by Channel 7 Finance Editor Gemma Acton. Hey, Gemma, nice Thank to see you. So much to unpack here. We're going to start with JobKeeper. Up to 150,000 Aussie jobs could be at risk uh, now where the support has ended. Are we ready for that? Can we handle that impact? Well, our economy is actually in terrific shape, particularly mm. when you compare to what people thought it was going to be like if we go back as recently as last October when we had the last mm. budget update. The unemployment rate's fallen a lot more quickly than we expected. The deficit's going to be a lot lower than we feared. The government's bringing in a lot more in the way of taxes. So we're actually in pretty good shape. And while the labour market recovery has been so strong, the momentum, it'll probably take a little bit of a, of a dip now, mm -hmm. but people don't think this is going to throw it completely off course. Now, that is not to detract from the 150,000 households that will be in trouble now and, and have lost that, that source of income. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. If, you're a, if you're in a Brisbane cafe at the moment or some Brisbane accommodation, you know, you're kind of feeling that you're going, no, not again, I don't think I can take another hit. Absolutely. So how's that affecting things, yeah, the, the I Brisbane mean, lockdown? The timing is absolutely horrible. JobKeeper finishes on Sunday. Mm. On Tomorrow we're supposed to be getting those half-price flights, which are very much directed at supporting Queensland tourist areas. And who's going to be buying a flight to, to Queensland right now, half-price or not? So this is a, a real punch in the guts for anybody up in Queensland. They're estimating the lockdown could cost around $2 billion. And that's just in immediate costs. But if we think about what that does to our confidence going forward and booking and, mm. and wanting to go up there, it's, it's going to have obviously much more costs. Now, on the other hand, Australian real estate prices. This is crazy it stuff. Is. Set to see the sharpest rise possibly since the 80s. Many people already locked out the, out of the market. What happens now? Is, is, it needs to be a circuit breaker of some sort, I Well, suppose. there are two organisations that are really responsible for looking at house prices. One is the Prudential Regulator APRA, and they've said, look, we're not too worried because we are supposed to worry about stability to mm. make sure that people are taking on debt they can afford, and we think they are. And then the Reserve Bank is saying, look, we're not too worried. We think it's more important to keep interest rates low to support the jobs recovery than to increase them to bring house prices down. So in sum, both the authorities looking at house prices saying, look, we're not going to move and do anything right now. That's a different picture, though. If you're a buyer who wants to get into yeah, the right, market, right, yeah. you're one of those dozens and dozens of people who are turning up to auctions every weekend, those people who are bidding well over the, the asking price, affordability is getting worse again. Gemma, can I ask, where's the money coming from? Well, it's because interest it, rates are so low. People so are paying like two and three you know, million dollars over reserves. And it's a great question. The money's mostly from Australians. Uh, in, international investors are far down than they have been mm. on levels in the past, but money's so cheap to borrow. Mm. So we're borrowing far more than we did in the past because mm. interest rates are so low, but the Reserve Bank doesn't think it's uh, time to move them up. Catastrophic okay. if those uh, numbers bounce back up a little yeah. bit. Mm -hmm. All right, we're also seeing a rise in people renting in the big cities, but buying in the regions is a good mm. investment too. This is a good thing. People are going, I don't have to live in the city anymore and pay those prices. I can live anywhere and work remotely now. Yeah, well, it's smart. Look, if you can afford in the regions to buy there and, and, and you want to do that, then that, that works. You know, I think if people want to get into the housing ladder, people are being a bit more imaginative now in terms of yeah. where they buy. Mm. Some people have to still work in the city, but they're thinking of buying elsewhere, renting that out and then renting in the city. So. I think it's good that people are being more imaginative about how they yes. go onto the housing ladder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can tell you who doesn't think it's good, though. The people living in the country, I've got friends living exactly. in the country, and they're going, oh my God, people from the city are coming and buying up all our houses for investments, and we can't afford to buy them. So the people who That's actually true. live in those country We've towns. We've seen that particularly around northern New South Wales, around the Rivers, Byron area oh, as well. Right. Yeah. Now, tickets, if we move on, 
uh, cancelled Olympic packages. Mm. So no spectators allowed no. at the Olympics. Thank God the, the actual competitors can. But people are being refunded the tickets but without the handling fee. Oh, well, this is just... I, I feel so sorry for people who had these packages. These packages generally have event tickets as well as accommodation, restaurant sightseeing tours. People bought these before the last mm. Tokyo Olympics. So it was supposed to be, you know, early last year when they, when they would have bought these packages. What they know so far is they're getting 80% of the event ticket value back, but not until far later this year. Oh. And we still don't know what they're going to get back in the way of accommodation, restaurants, tours right, they've right, paid for. Been so spend, yeah. it's, been a, it's been very disappointing. Now, the organisers of, of the tickets are blaming the Tokyo Games organisers and the, and the Japanese government, uh, but certainly it's a raw deal for people who yeah. hold those tickets. Hey, can we talk about these so-called free phone apps? Everyone's <laughs> being stung by these things. Australian users, apparently the biggest victims of this new breed of sort of malicious software. What, what do we need to watch out for? We touched on it the other day, but there's so much more to it. Have you ever downloaded an app where it says free trial, free trial, yeah. and you think, great, and you really want to get on and try that new filter for your photos? Or, or well, often... I haven't done that one, but I know what you mean. Another example is uh, fortune-telling apps often have, have this type of thing. They're one of the ones that have been pulled up the most. What they don't tell you straight off, and you have to like look into the weeds to find out, is what they're going to start charging you pretty quickly. Mm. And one example, which actually is a fortune-teller app, after a week they started charging $66 a week, which adds up to around uh, $3,500 a year. So the idea is even if an app says to you uh, it has a free trial, before you click on anything, make sure you know how you can cancel it and mm. when, because sometimes that you're made to hold on to it for a year or so, and exactly how much they're going to start charging you. And you can check, when they so you can go charging. into the subscriptions area of exactly. your phone, you go into settings, I don't know, you might know how to do it, settings and then subscriptions and it tells you what you've got. You're, you're absolutely right, that's exactly what you do, <coughs> and if you don't remember those instructions, Google it because it will tell you exactly yeah. how to do it. You can, you can find out how to check what you're paying for. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You don't have to, I, I will always be able to tell you your future for free. <laughs> I won't charge you anything. Thank you, Gemma. So good to see you. Well, not since the sexual revolution in the 1960s have people felt more empowered to explore their desires in the bedroom. For ye Stop it now. Listen to us. We're talking. For years, sexologists have been encouraged... Well, people might be in the bedroom now doing that while oh, trying to talk. Oh, OK, right. Uh, sexologists have been encouraging us to leave shame and judgment at the doorstep and to keep an open mind. Melbourne-based psychosexologist Chantelle Otten has a call to action for a little more action. Uh, the educator says good sexual health should always be enjoyable, pain-free and without prejudice. Now, one person who subscribes to her approach, Chantelle's boyfriend, tennis star, Paralympian and all-round nice guy, of course, Dylan Alcott. And Chantelle joins us live. Hi. Hey. Hi. Nice to see you. Do you feel that there's been this shift in, in recent generations with people feeling more confident mm. to discuss their, their sexual desires as well as the challenges? It's not, not a one-way street. Yeah. I mean, is that how you found as a sexologist? I think it's, I think definitely in the past two years I've seen quite a big change. Definitely when I came back to Australia, I used to live in Holland. Um, about five years ago, we really weren't talking about sex at all. And like two years, even 12 months, we've really started to talk about sex a lot more. I think COVID as well. There are a lot of people who are sitting at home going, well, what do I do now? And how's my sex life going? Is it good? Is it, are there things to work on? So definitely the conversation has increased. And I do know that sex toy sales, because my ambassador, Love Honey, monitors all these things, just went through the roof in the first lockdown for COVID. So... Is mm -hmm. that right? Mm. Okay, when it comes to... Well, I'm learning stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, just taking so it all in. <laughs>
<laughs> when it comes to sex and relationships, you, you, you promote open-mindedness. Is there still stuff that's taboo that you wish that was uh, easier, I was going to say easier on the table, that's not right, to, to put on the table and that we should be talking about more often? I think that still sexuality and normalising, I guess, the various layers of sexuality is something that we definitely need to focus on. We need to move away from this Disney-oriented, you know, movie-oriented point of view that sex is about penetration and orgasm. It, you know, I think we need to talk about the fact that it's messy and it's sweaty and there are people with different abilities and there are challenges that go on. And we need to talk about the fact that it is real life and individualised a lot more. Where do we land with the sexual assault? A lot of headlines at the moment are being discussed more mm. and more, coming to light more and more, and it's worrying. Are we missing an education piece here? What needs to change? Why, why are we finding ourselves in this situation? Or has it always happened and now it's just getting reported more? Oh, absolutely. Mm. I think that this is not a new situation. I think it's a devastating situation that we're still in in 2021. Uh, of course, we are missing adequate sex education that is about affirmative consent, pleasure education and just communication and respect for the people that we are interacting with on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm. It's embarrassing that we're at this stage in 2021 and I'm really hoping that there will be further change quicker than we anticipate at the moment. And does that change need to happen at the school level? Do we have to get in with the kids earlier now? And they're talking about education like this in schools now. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. I know that affirmative consent education has just been brought in last week. Yeah, right. So I think that um, we absolutely need to be talking about this. We need to talk a lot more about, you know, also the diversity in sexuality, different genders, different sexual orientations, different representations disability and I think we also need to talk a lot more about pleasure especially women's pleasure and anatomy I have so many people coming in who don't even know how to name their own anatomy and their genitals I think that's fundamental to what we need to talk about sure yeah you have a clinic with like, like with 20 people working with you wow yeah um, some lighter stuff now your partner Dylan very vocal on his podcast and he, he, he about his journey and, and sex with a disability mm. does he come to you and go Hey, honey, I'm going to talk about this on the podcast today. Is this something? I imagine it's something that you talk about before he goes and shares it with the world. No, I no. think. <laughs> no, we have a very open household. Look, I think that Dylan is always respectful of me and our relationship, so I have no qualms with him doing whatever he feels is necessary to change the conversation around sexuality or disability. And I look. Both of us are really trying to change our respective fields for the better, so yeah. go for it. And, and do you feel in 2021 that those things are changing, that the boundaries around the stigmas are changing? They're getting, getting there. there. It's getting there, right? Yeah, I think there's a lot more work to do. I think the fact that um, our conversations, Dylan and I having these conversations, blow up so much in the media, yeah. I think that that just shows that there is still more conversation that needs to happen, for yeah. sure. What's the one thing that you wish couples, or, or individuals, I guess, would, would remember when getting intimate? Just to have fun, not put pressure on yourself to have to perform or your partner to perform. Sex is not perfect. It's hot, it's messy, it's sweaty, accidents happen. And I think that we just need to look at the fact that it's real and that there are people interacting in this. So I like to really work a lot around communication and respectful communication in the bedroom. And I guess empathy for each other.
Have people got better at this during COVID because they've been forced to spend so much time together? I know that I had to hire 10 more staff in the past 12 months. So um, <laughs> I think that people are recognising that they do need to work on it. Yeah, right, right, right. And I think the fact that, you know, people are seeking help for it is a really positive thing. Great. Yeah. Mm. And they're not very good at it, they, they've discovered. If well, it, they come for more, you know, <laughs> they come for advice. Maybe that's to spice it up or maybe because there's challenges. Not because they're not good, but maybe because they want to improve further. Good stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> I know, fascinating line of work. Really? Yeah. It really is. Thank and to you. Have, yeah, wow. Great that's to great. talk Thank to you. you. Thank you so much. Well, today Australians will be feeling the pinch as the cost of private health insurance increases. This year's policies are set to rise by an average of 2.74%. That's an average additional cost for families of $127 a year, $59 for individuals. Now, this is the second price hike in six months after the April 2020 increase was postponed till October due to the pandemic. But in good news, it is the smallest jump since 2001. We welcome back Joe Yuchukolo from Handle My Complaint. Hi, Joe. I mean, why are premiums going up. What costs are we covering? So the cost of delivering our health system are increasing. These are things like wages and devices. So what they say the increases are due to are more people are going to hospital, more people have chronic conditions which need to be managed, which are more costly. Um, even the cost of delivering mental health has gone up. So we're seeing increases in the costs and these are reflected in our private health costs. Okay, now the government rebate is also changing, which is putting pressure on prices, of course. Yes, and this is a very, uh, not very well-known fact. What is happening is the government has been offering a rebate to people, and it depends on your income, but this change affects everybody who earns up to $140,000 as an individual or $280,000 as a family. And over time, the government is going to drop the rebate that it offers you to offset the cost of private health insurance. This year, it's reducing by between, you know, half a percent and one percent, but it will continue to drop over time. So it's really important to know this. OK, so some funds will have bigger price hikes than others. Who decides on the final figures? I mean, is it regulated or capped at all? Great question, Kylie. It is actually the government that approves the price increases. So each of the individual funds go to the government and ask for the, their price increase to be you know, approved. So they come to the government and they say, these are what costs we need to cover. We want, it, we want our policies to increase by this amount. And that goes to the health minister and the health minister approves the, uh, the increase. So they're not the same increase across the board. You mentioned that the average increase is 2.74, but it goes, uh, one fund has got a small increase of 0.5%. And then the biggest increase we're seeing is 5.47%. Oh. So it's a big difference. Yeah. And just remember the government has approved this price increase. Okay. Hey, Joe. the number of people with private health insurance has rocketed in the past six months, thanks to the pandemic, of course. Uh, do you expect this trend will continue? Well, this has been interesting, Larry. So, yes, what you mentioned is more people have signed up to private health insurance during the pandemic, but... 80% of the people who've joined are over 50s. And it's no coincidence that this is also the same age group that is most susceptible to COVID and COVID symptoms. So we saw 100,000 people join between July and September last year, and then 34,000 new people join between October and December last year. So I expect that um, we, you know, this is just a little blip 
of more people being interested in private health insurance because they're a bit worried about what COVID would bring. But the trend over the long term has been more people leaving the private health system over time. So I think that it'll go back to that mm. once the pandemic isn't isn't such a big deal. And in Australia, we're really, really lucky in that we do have a really great health system. We can see that with the pandemic. If anyone presents to a health professional and says, I have COVID symptoms, they're going to get medical support, whether they're in the private or public system. Mm -hmm. And it is really important that we do make sure that everybody has access to medical help. Mm. Anyway, around these additional costs, I mean, I know a couple of people who don't have private health insurance, but instead stash away the equivalent into a separate bank account and use that. I mean, that's a risk you take, mm. I guess. Well, that's absolutely an option. So there's a few things you can do. So a lot of people have hospital cover because it, it helps to offset their Medicare levy surcharge that the government applies to your tax return. So it's important to know if you hit that threshold, 90,000 as an individual or 140,000 as a as a as a family, that that then the government will impose a surcharge which incentivizes you to be on the private health. So have a think about whether you're you're in that bracket, but that it only applies to hospital cover. That's all you need to offset that levy. So Kylie, you might be thinking about the friends who do that for the extras cover, which is an option. Mm. Can you afford to fund the cost of any extras covers, which is dental, optical, remedial massage, mm. um, physiotherapy? If you can afford to fund that out of your own wallet, then you might not need extras cover. And so there's, there's, it's definitely worthwhile shopping around and doing your research. Mm. All right. Thanks for helping us through all of that, Joe. Good to talk to you again. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, on the why files, we unpack the what and why of your anatomy, demystifying the most bizarre and mind-boggling bodily functions. Hope you don't mind if we do that too. <laughs> Today, we're looking at one of the most contagious, uncontrollable actions our body does. Now, for those playing along at home, we are talking about yawning. Yawning. The average adult yawns about 20 times every day. So what is the purpose of a yawn? Why are they contagious? And most importantly, how many times have you yawned listening to this introduction? <laughs> right? Only a couple. That's okay. We welcome back biomedical scientist Dr. Darren Saunders. Welcome back to the show. Morning. Uh, some academics think we yawn to cool the brain. What do you reckon? Yeah, it's another one of those mysteries. Um, that seems to be the current front-running theory. We don't actually really know for sure why we yawn. Right. Uh, but it seems to be, you know, we take that huge intake of breath, our jaw gets a good old stretch, and then a big exhalation, and they think that increases blood flow to our brain, okay. which then cools the brain a little bit, and they think that's probably the best explanation from a physiological perspective. Okay. Right. Another theory, let's test this theory, is that yawning stretches the lungs 
to get obviously more oxygen into. Does that science stack up? So that was the prevailing theory until about 25, 30 years ago, and that's really been disproven. So used, we used to think it was all about getting more oxygen and, and getting rid of carbon dioxide, and we don't think that's the case anymore. There wow. were some pretty conclusive experiments that ruled that out. Um, I used to get really, really offended when uh, Kylie would yawn when I'm talking to her, but now it happens so much. It's to water off a duck's back now. But does it mean that Kylie's bored listening to me? Or is it just she's got some other things going on? Could be. It could very well be that she's bored listening yeah, to enough, you. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and we're going to talk about contagious yawning as well. Yeah. It's also anxiety is a trigger for yawning. So, so a lot of people, a lot of athletes find that they get very anxious before they oh, perform. Okay. Paratroopers, before they jump out of a plane, have been observed to do a lot more yawning than the average person. So right. it could be that she's anxious talking to you as well. No, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> what about tiredness? Like, you know, oh, you have a big yawn, time to go to bed. That's Has the obvious one. Has tiredness got anything to do with it? Absolutely. We definitely yawn when we're tired. And that's, um, there's a few different ways of thinking about that. One is that... Um, it's a way of helping us to transition from that wakefulness to sleeping stage. And we talked a few weeks ago about how temperature is involved in, in regulating our sleep. Mm -hmm. So back to that brain cooling idea. Um, is, there's also an idea that trying to yawn might be a way of trying to keep us alert and stop us going to sleep. So the, the sort of the jury's out on that one. These things are more contagious than COVID. It's they like, what, what if you... I'm trying so hard no, no. Not, to, not to yawn right now. <laughs> it's my voice lulling you to sleep. Uh, the chance of you yawning increases sixfold if someone else does it in front of you, right? It is contagious. It's an echo oh, phenomenon. Okay. Things like laughing and things we, we, we do contagiously. Um, and we think it's related to empathy. So there's, there are some studies out there that say that more empath empathetic, empathetic people yawn more. Um, and you're more likely to yawn if someone familiar to you yawns in front of you. Right. But even just thinking about it, talking about it, reading about it yes. is enough to trigger it. It's a really strange phenomenon. There's thousands of people in their, in their lounge rooms yawning now. You know that, But don't that you? happens a lot watching the morning. Like people do that all the time. Well, I was... <laughs> Shh, don't say that. Don't say that. Can we stop it? Because have you ever tried to stop a yawn? It's very ugly. Oh, yeah. Here's a brutal piece of science. There was one study where they asked people to try to stop yawning. Mm -hmm. In fact, it made them yawn more. It actually increased the, the urge to yawn when you asked people to try and stop doing like, it. Don't tell how, me what to do. Exactly. How have we been doing this for so many millions of years and scientists haven't got on top of this yet? How can it be so it's one of the, It's one of those things. And it is deeply seated in evolution. So, you know, lots of different animals do it. And it seems to occur in the brainstem, which is the really, really primitive part of our brains. Oh, look, we found a turtle so yawning. Deep, yeah, deep evolutionary. Me, and, and even dogs. A dog will yawn if it sees oh. its owner yawn and it's more likely to do it so from a familiar a face so uh, animals will do it if their owner does it yeah yeah so dogs will yawn in response to their human owner yawning. So the, but that's back to the empathy thing isn't it the dogs are very empathetic to, i mean they can sniff out cancer so the, right. so the myth goes so yeah the, em the empathy, empathy thing's controversial there's some evidence for it there's some evidence against it so people with psychopathic traits don't tend to yawn very often and some um, mental illnesses that are related to empathy and human connection, people with those illnesses don't tend to yawn as much either. So if we have, hypothetically, let's just round it up, let's just say mm. we have a million people watching us now. Yep. Uh, how many of those would have yawned just through uh, this Most evening? of them, I would think, which is gr great for television, isn't it? So we have some very <laughs> oxygenated... <laughs> Very oxygenated. Yeah. yeah, your career's on the show yeah, is cut, cut short. <laughs> All right, Darren, love it to talk to you. Thank you. For, what Thank a you. mystery. Yeah, it, it is. It's one of those great mysteries. Did we solve it? Not really. We've got, we got a little bit. We've got a little, a little bit. bit of evidence. A little, possibly yeah. to cool the brain. Yeah, I think we unpacked a lot of our viewers' anatomy <laughs> during that. <laughs> I hope you're okay with that. No, Thank they're, you, they're Dr. Fine. We have a very good relationship Saunders with our viewers. Unpacking the Y files for us this morning. 
Well, it's safe to say that no one would have predicted the changes we've experienced over this last year, how we work, how we travel or don't travel, uh, socialise. All of it has been flipped on its head in the most unexpected way, which leaves us wondering what will the world look like in another 12 months and beyond that? So many questions today. We're crystal balling into the future from the jobs our kids will land and the hybrid offices they'll work in to our houses and the technology we'll be using. It's time to do some post-pandemic predicting. For more, we welcome Ashley Fell from McCrindle Research. Hello, Ashley. Hey, good morning. Okay, let's start with school leavers. Our kids are predicted to have 18 jobs across six careers during their working life. Yeah, that's right. I know it sounds like a lot, and it is. And we um, project that based on the average tenure of someone staying in one job for two years and nine months. That's the average across all generations. Is that and all then, it is? That's right. Two that's years and nine months. So we extrapolate that out over the lifetime of a school leaver today. As I mentioned, noting they'll work later into their life mm. because they're going to live longer. So it is a phenomenal amount of jobs and careers. Uh, the workplaces they enter are going to look really different too. You're, gonna, you're saying that wellbeing will be a strong focus in the future and loneliness loneliness will become a real issue for employees working remotely if we're looking that way yeah that's right so this work from home era that we all now find ourselves in there mm. was some so many benefits and our research showed that you know the lack of commute time the, the money savings but the biggest challenge for many Australians who worked from home was actually the social isolation and our research showed many people said 2020 was just such a tough year so we predict that well-being is really going to be need to be a key focus of leaders especially for the emerging generations who are a lot more anxious as a result of COVID because they'd never lived through anything like this yeah, before. So if we look at people working from home, mm. then things get a little crowded because <laughs> everyone's working from home, you've got multiple generations living under the one roof. Yeah, that's right. So we already had a little bit of that prior to the pandemic and then you've got young families coming back to live at home with mum and dad, particularly younger generations impacted by sectors mm. like hospitality and tourism. So they come back at home and that's why they often labelled a generation of kippers, if you've heard of that. Kids in parents' pockets eroding retirement savings so they're living <laughs> at home a, a bit later and drawing on the bank of mum and dad a little bit more so multiple generations that's a lot to remember roof. sponges is an easier <laughs> one than that uh, what are the big lifestyle trends uh, that you're tipping for 2021 yeah so we're predicting that a lot of people will actually leave the capital cities because we can work yeah. remotely we can work from home make that sea change or tree change um, so those lifestyle factors that some of the rural areas were real barriers to people living there because there was mm. a lack of employability but now work from home has just opened that right up the other thing we're seeing is a real resilience among Australians as a result of the pandemic and also a greater authenticity among us as we looked into the mm. homes of our colleagues um, and clients and you saw their dogs and kids coming in we sort of got a bigger snapshot of someone so I think that's a real positive to come out of what was for many a really challenging year last year. Yeah. Okay let's, let's, sh let's shift gears population trends. We're looking at the lowest birth rates on record at the moment. That's right. So currently the total fertility rate for an Australian woman is 1.6 and that's the lowest it's been for a very long time. 1.6 children. Is yes, that, like, that's right, in, yeah. per woman, yeah. and that's below the replacement rate for a couple of two children. Um, and we know that that often happens in times of uncertainty, global economic uncertainty, which is what we're in at the moment. And so it'd be interesting, I mean, it's almost 20 years since we saw the baby bonus in Australia, mm. so what's going to happen in terms of how we encourage or incentivise women to, ha to have more kids? Sure. Okay. Now, speaking of population booms and busts, we have to have a look at our littlest generation and talk <laughs> baby names. And you're seeing an interesting trend of, of nicknames uh, stepping up. 
stepping yeah. up and becoming the proper name. That's right. So these millennial parents um, who yeah. are parenting Generation Alpha, these young kids of today, there's some real key trends we're seeing in our analysis of names like Billy instead of William and Archie instead of Archer and all these sort of little iterations becoming the normal name. So yeah, some real shifts happening among millennials who are naming their kids. I think I think we had we had some graphics there of some of those um, names. There we go. <laughs> Charlotte and oh. Olivia, they're the top. They're the top names. Top yeah. names. Top names right. in Australia. Okay, Ash, you don't mind if I call you Ash? I don't. <laughs> Thanks, Ash. Good to see you. Thank you. Thanks. Former Olympian Yana Pittman has overcome many hurdles in her life, mm -hmm. but when it came to the outdoor arena, nothing could stand in her way. It's the same fighting spirit that the superstar has implemented in her new career, raising awareness and tackling the stigma of cervical cancer, a cause Yana is deeply passionate about, not only as a doctor, that's what she is now too, but also as a patient. Dr Yana Pittman joins us live. Hello. Hello, hello. hello. Good morning. Well, Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, we love talking to you. You're just, we talk about superwoman. You, you really are a bit of a superwoman. No, 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 no. I just haven't got much sleep happening at the moment. <laughs> so <laughs> you have, last time we spoke to you, you've, you've got four children now. Yes. Uh, they range in age from 14 down to five months. That's right. How I'm is life lucky. in your household? Eclectic and busy and difficult to maintain lots of goals at this point. But it's just, I just love having a big family. So it was one of my goals as a child to have five kids. Hint, hint. There's only four there. <laughs> no, oh, here we go. Not yet. Um, but yeah, I've just always wanted to have a lovely balance of children and work and medicine and sports. So I just feel very lucky that I've got these beautiful little people around me. Is everyone helping out? Is of course. The, the big one. Out? The big one. <laughs> he hasn't got a choice, does he? The 14-year-old definitely uh, rings in there with the kids and puts them to sleep a couple of times at night which is really lovely I've, I've got a, a lovely little network of kids Whoa. at home I know Beautiful. isn't it gorgeous who's, who's that there? that's little Charlie the little one and Jemima so they're the two youngest oh. yeah oh, my little blessings just adorable yeah and our little puppy <laughs> <laughs> now what brings you to this couch today it's probably the only time you get to sit down so you probably come in for a bit of a sit down <laughs> have a relax but, but you're also the ambassador for the Australian Cervical Cancer Foundation that's right now this is important to you you are a doctor now because upon top of all those other things you're a doctor but now you find yourself as a patient that's that's correct. So cervical cancer for me has been a bit of an interesting uh, relationship for the last few years and I've been an amazing ambassador for this um, organisation, Australian Cervical Cancer mm. Foundation, for probably well about five years now, when at the beginning of my medical school career I actually found out I had a dysplasia myself. So that's not quite cancer but it's just beforehand when there's dysplastic cells. And it was because I was probably ten years out of date with my screening so mm. I was a little bit nervous then. Mm. Uh, and unfortunately in the last couple of weeks I had an, another, a, another account. So postpartum you're supposed to go six weeks, have a checkup. They did another pap smear or what we call now is the cervical screening test and unfortunately it was positive again so I guess it's good because I want to be a gynaecologist down the track um, as a doctor but it was also an example for me that we really need to get this message back out there there is a, a little bit of stigma around cervical cancer I think women aren't quite prepared to come out and talk about it but four out of five of us are going to have a, pos a positive HPV in some stage in their life mm. and that's the main cause the human papilloma virus of cervical cancer and, and this will shock and frighten a lot of people to hear it that you had no symptoms on this nothing right? nothing yeah. at all so is, is, so that, is that common it is it can be very common so we can literally and that's why our screening program is so important you know in Australia we only have women about 1 in 50 which will actually have cervical cancer in their lifetime compared to other underdeveloped nations yeah, which right. are down in 1 in 12. So our program has to get the message out there that even if you have no symptoms, yes it's uncomfortable, nobody wants to have a speculum insert into their vagina, let's be honest, but it could literally save your life. 
So I feel very grateful that I'm one, the ambassador, and trying to raise awareness and funds for the ACCF, but also that I am the patient so that when I am a future gynaecologist, I can actually see what that woman feels like coming into my office, laying down there and, you know, exposing herself to have that to have that exam. So And, and COVID hasn't helped and it lockdowns hasn't. haven't mm. helped because people just so aren't true. keeping up to date, are they? Yeah, so that's a big message. We missed a lot of our screening last year. Yeah. But of course, because we didn't want to go out in that environment. But if you're behind in your screening, you could be putting yourself at risk. So we mm. need to really make sure that message is out there for women. Okay. Hey, can we flash back to the sports sure. stuff? We love this stuff. Um, fellow Olympian, uh, Tamsin Lewis, Lewis. Yeah. yeah, recently put this pic of your Commonwealth Games winning relay team. It was lovely that picture. Can you believe, can you believe <laughs> so 2002, almost two decades later, do you guys uh, all keep in touch? Yeah, and no, I actually reposted this picture because it's just such a lovely a lovely example of the team. There's Cathy Freeman there and Lauren oh, yeah, Hewitt, yeah, yeah, Tamsin yeah. Lewis and myself. It was a bit of a dream team back in the day. Yeah. Um, it was a very huge honour to be running with those girls. And yeah, we do, we definitely keep in contact. Uh, it's a very, you know, a small sport. There's not a lot of people at the top end in athletics in Australia. Sure. So you definitely need to band together with your friends. Tokyo yeah. Olympics, Yana, 113 days. Gee, it's been disrupted. Yeah, it it's been, been awful for the athletes. Positive uh, and negative, actually, there, because we've had actually a few extra athletes make the qualification time. So given that little bit more, bigger window to actually qualify, means our team may be a little bit stronger than we're anticipating. Oh, see, look, you are a glass half full girl, actually. <laughs> yeah. Looking for the positives in it. Wait, do you get a little bit... Yeah, itchy and scratchy around this time, like you yeah. having to like put <laughs> on the jumper hurdle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and no, of course I, I miss running. I love, I love my new career as a doctor. It is it's such a blessing. But you know, you can't not miss the adrenaline and the, mm. the associated endorphins that come with. Actually, Bob says even more fun than athletics, in all truth. But do you it still was, run at all? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's like just just for mental health. Yeah. So just to get out there and get that good, those good, um, happy energy going through your body is is really important. Does anyone ever look at look at you as you take overtake them on the? I think the, the size puts people off because I'm quite a yeah. large woman, 85 kilos. All of that. Do people look at you funny when you're running down the street and you start jumping over fences? <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good to see you. Thank Thanks you so for coming in. Always Thanks, a treat. Thanks, Jan. Always great to see all you. Right. Thanks for listening to the Morning Show podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow. And for more info on these stories, just head to themorningshow.com.au. And I'll catch you again weekday mornings right after sunrise on Channel 7. Bye for now.